the dragon the orbital zombie dragon the fastest pirate vessel in the galaxy as dragana settles our dragon class starship into low earth orbit to give you another transmission of the show where we discuss all things sci-fi fantasy and horror with a focus on story writing i am your host captain of the ship Richard Boomzilla Pippin. Glad to be back. As you know, it's it's been a, uh, I guess it's been a couple weeks now. And uh, I'll get into that in a minute. It has to do with November. <laughs> if you've been listening, you know what was going on in November. But I do have some other announcements today. First, I finally did get my new iMac. I have been a long time Windows and Android user. Uh, I guess the last couple of years I switched to iPhones and eventually I got an iPad Pro. And the further I got into my writing and my production work and things like that, I started to, well, think about switching over to the dark side, (laughs) as I like to call it. And uh, I've been thinking about getting an iMac or MacBook Pro for a while. I finally got a nice uh, top of the line 27 inch iMac. I know it's like the mid. Uh, 2017 model and maybe i should have waited another few months but i waited and waited i waited for the october event uh, apple event hoping there would finally be a new imac and basically every event this year no new imacs and i just got tired of waiting and honestly i was doing all this production work on a five or six year old gaming rig that i had so even though it's the mid 2017 model of the imac it was a uh, light years <laughs> light years beyond what I was doing my production work on. And, uh, well, this this episode here, as you're listening to, is going to be the first episode I have produced on my new iMac. So hopefully uh, it, it goes well. <laughs> I do use Adobe Audition, so that's pretty much cross-platform. I don't really see any uh, problem there. Uh, my opinions on the iMac after having it for uh, about a week and a half now, I love it. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. A couple of years ago, I bought a MacBook Pro and I just was not ready for that transition yet. And I ended up returning it like a few days later. And you know, people at Best Buy were like, what's wrong? What was something wrong with it? And I'm just like, I just hate it. And this time I don't hate it. I actually love it. Um, it's, it is a productivity machine. And I think if you're any type doing any type of production work, uh, just the availability availability of software and the functionality of software for the Mac, you're going to probably eventually find yourself in a position I was in, just wanting to switch over. And it is a it is literally a productivity machine. I think if you're looking to do a certain job, you get the right tool for the job. And for other people, hey, it, Windows machines may be great. I've been a long time Windows user myself, uh, but just for a lot of things. Uh, just the workflow on the Mac just seems to be better. I don't know how to explain it better than that. And one of the things is I finally have Scrivener 3. It's my other announcement. 
after a long wait of them supposedly updating the Windows version of Scrivener. All right, finally, this is one of the reasons I started thinking about switching to. I just finally gave up and got myself an iMac and I got Scrivener 3. And I can tell you it was a little bit of an adjustment, but once I figured it out, Scrivener 3 is awesome. If you are a writer and you're using Scrivener, just, <laughs> just save yourself some frustration uh, about updates and functionality and just go and get yourself a Mac. You don't have to go get a high-end one like I did because I'm doing video and audio production also. You can run Scrivener and probably Vellum too on just a little MacBook Air, which they did just update. You can get a lot uh, lower price uh, entry point there. So love Scrivener 3, love my iMac. Uh, every time I sit down at the iMac, I learn something. So <laughs> I just, I'm sitting there and playing with stuff and I go, oh, that's how this works. And that's going to help with this. So it's been a pretty good experience so far. Uh, about the uh, the brief hiatus there, it has a lot to do with November being NaNoWriMo. And this is the first year I did NaNoWriMo, and I thought I could keep up and, and do the show also. Um, but I really didn't. Uh, and also, there was kind of a, a dearth. Is that a word? <laughs> there wasn't a lot of good movies and stuff coming out, and there still isn't. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I did NaNoWriMo. I didn't get the 50,000 words in a month, which is the goal of NaNoWriMo, to write 50,000 words on your novel. Although I did do a lot. I, I did, I think, about uh, 23,000 words in a month in between my day job and other stuff I'm doing. That's pretty good. That's probably more than I usually do in a month. Uh, but I, <laughs> I guess I, that was kind of the reason for the pause and transmissions. But I probably will not do NaNoWriMo again. I, I, I support it and what it's shooting for. Uh, but for me, I, don't, <laughs> I, I can't put my other stuff on hold for a whole month like that and just bang out 50,000 words. But I will try to have that sort of level of output every month, like, you know, I don't know 15, 20,000 words a month, because then you can finish a, a first draft, a draft of a novel in like five or six months, which is what I'm shooting for. <laughs> I need to get serious about it and finally get a uh, a book out, at least into the editing process pretty soon, hopefully. So I guess that's the announcements for this week. Uh, covering today, I'm going to be covering uh, the Robin Hood movie, uh, the movie that just came out uh, Friday, I think. Uh, I think it came out on November uh, 30th, the uh, The Possession of Hannah Grace. And I'm going to do a follow-up on The Haunting of Hill House. I know I talked about Haunting of Hill House before, uh, but I just did that after I'd watched three episodes, and I kind of gave my thoughts on it. Now I've finished watching the whole series, so I'm going to cover that. And I have writing tips that's kind of related to those last two on reactionary versus proactive characters. And getting a little more detail in that and why it's related to those two films as we get to it. So, Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood, I went to see a couple weekends ago. Uh, just because there is, like I said, a, a kind of a dry spell in fantasy movies and uh, just fantasy and sci-fi in general, I find. A lot of horror stuff coming out lately, but not a lot of it's been good. <laughs> uh, but Robin Hood's a 2018 film starring Taron Egerton as Robin of Loxley, you know, the title character. You might know him from the Kingsman movies, which I still have not seen. Need to see because everybody in the, you know, the sci-fi uh, you know, kind of comic world talks about the Kingsman movies and how good they are. 
You also have Jamie Foxx as Little John. He kind of, if you saw the older uh, Robin Hood with uh, Kevin Costner you know, back in the, the 90s, that, that awful Brian, uh, <laughs> what was that song? Oh God, I can't remember the song, but it was all over the, it was all over the radio at the time when that movie came out. But <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. I'll talk about it another time. But, uh, you know, Jamie Foxx's Little John, he kind of reprises the Morgan Freeman role from that Kevin Costner thing. You know, he's kind of the, the Moore or Saracen or whatever that accompanies uh, Robin Hood on his adventures. Uh, Jamie Foxx, you know who Jamie Foxx is. He's been around forever. I really haven't seen him in a lot of uh, genre stuff. Uh, but he is going to be an upcoming Spawn movie. Upcoming Spawn movie, he's going to play the title character, Al Simmons, you know, the the Spawn. And uh, I'm kind of interested in that to see how what they do with that. Although they had one, uh, oh God, I don't know what year that was. But you had Michael J. Michael J. White in that as the title character. So Jamie Foxx has work cut out for him to, uh, to try and match Michael J. White's performance. I love Michael J. White. He's... On top of being a good actor and, and <laughs> very uh, physically fit person, uh, which I aspire to be <laughs> one day as good a shape as Michael J. White, he is also like a black belt in multiple martial arts. And I used to do martial arts myself, and I didn't get black belt in anything. So I think it just kind of speaks to people's dedication and not... Uh, quitting what they started when they get a black belt, much less, uh, you know, someone has multiple black belts. And that's probably why he's successful in other areas of his life, too. It's not, people say, you know, the martial arts helps you be successful, but it's not that. It's the, it's the, the practice to dedication, I find. You know, you're that dedicated and you can have that I'm not going to quit attitude. It tends to carry over into other things. So I, <laughs> I know I'm way off on a tangent there. But like I said, Jamie Foxx can have his work uh, cut out to match Michael J. White. <laughs> uh, you also had Jamie Dornan in this as Will Scarlet. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of genre stuff that he's in either. He was in those awful Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Uh, but he was also in a show called The Fall with Jillian uh, Anderson, which was a pretty cool series. I think it was a British television series and uh, about a serial killer. He played the serial killer. <laughs> so something else kind of genre kind of scary that you can see him in um this movie i will tell you right off the bat i think it's still at theaters i think i saw it it's still up at the theater when i went there last night um not worth going to see this i was i saw the trailers and i wasn't expecting much i was basically going in th thinking this could be a fun action flick and that's kind of the best I thought I could hope for from watching the trailer. But it, it wasn't even that. It's pretty bad. The, the action was way over the top and kind of unbelievable uh, that somebody could do the things they were doing. <laughs> I understand that Robin Hood characters, this, you know, legendary archer and all that stuff, but they went way over the top with it. Uh, the other thing that was kind of jarring is that some of the weaponry seemed kind of out of place out of time <laughs> yeah out of time and place it was a little too like they tried to modernize these weapons and they had these whole scenes where uh robin of loxley's unit 
over there in the uh, in the Crusades. We're kind of going through these, uh, you know, Middle Eastern uh, towns, and not a single one of them seemed to have a sword or a melee weapon of any kind. They're just walking around bows, and they're walking around with them fully cocked back. Like you could tell what they were trying to do. They're trying to make it look like a, a modern army with their assault rifles, but with bows instead. And it just didn't fit. <laughs> I don't think uh, street-to-street archery fighting was really a thing. <laughs> and it just got ridiculous where the it incoming fire from crossbow bolts. And it looked, they tried to make this look of a modern war movie. And, you know, people running for cover and the, the bolts from the crossbow hidden and basically like crumbling stone as though it was, although it was, as though it was shots from like an assault rifle. It's like, you know, crumbling this real... Uh, impact uh oriented kind of just explosion like like gunfire they tried to make it seem like gunfire is what i'm trying to say and it just it just didn't fit it seemed kind of contrived and i don't know why they did it but it's kind of insulting <laughs> to be honest they did it to uh make it more relatable to uh you know to younger people i guess like oh, people don't aren't into Robin Hood and archery anymore. So we'll make it seem like a modern war movie and we'll connect with the younger viewers, but younger viewers that are fans of fantasy want fantasy. They don't want a modern war movie. It's kind of insulting. It's like we can handle it. We understand things were different back then. We're not stupid. <laughs> I like saying it like that. Stupid. So that was, you know, like that, that was part of the reason I didn't like it. I don't really have to give you the setup of the story for this. It is basically, you know, the Robin Hood story. There's a lot of stuff they changed, but it's not really, I don't know, like Will Scarlet. The enmity between Will Scarlet and Robin Hood was much more pronounced uh, in this one and had a weird ending related to that. But you know the story of Robin Hood. <laughs> the other thing I really didn't like about this film was they pretty much tried to beat us over the head with this modern political message about war and and rich people, uh, evil rich people, uh, making money off the war, which is kind of a, a thing to try and now to say that all rich people are evil in some way, and they must have got it through you know some kind of nefarious means, and that's you know definitely true of the sheriff of Nottingham in this movie. But I found there was a lot of this kind of modern political message that would just beat you over the head with constantly during the movie. I'm like, we're here to be entertained. We're here for a fun action flick, maybe some drama, some little romance, you know, because you have Robin Hood and me and Marion. And it it just didn't deliver on any of that other stuff. Even the, the romance part seemed kind of flat and uh, uninspiring, I'll say. <laughs> I was disappointed. Like I said, I didn't go in expecting much. But it, it, I mean, it had potential to be fun, even if it was a little bit over the top, but it just wasn't fun. <laughs> it was pretty much ruined by this beating us over the head with the political message. And also, like, they had some really bad lines. I don't even know how the actors got through those lines with a straight face. They were, like, even ripping off modern quotes and throwing it in there where Robin's doubting himself near the end, you know, and Marion tries to give him this inspiring thing inspiring talk and she says if not you who if not now when <laughs> like really that's where you took that and that was like in a lot of these films there's always that i call it the the braveheart speech you know where uh, mel gibson's riding the horse in front of everybody he's giving the 
like, go get them speech, you know, pump fist pump in the air and stuff like that. They tried to do that in this movie and it was nowhere near Braveheart material. I'll just say that. <laughs> so overall, this is really disappointing movie. They could have done something with it, but I'm sure Jamie Foxx regretting this one. <laughs> this is why I really can't uh, recommend this one. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say wait for video. And that's why I give this one a rating of one out of five swords. Just really don't even bother. I watched it for you. So you don't have to. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about Robin Hood. Moving on to the next bad movie. <laughs> I said, this time of year is just kind of a slow period for movies. This is where studios stick all their bad movies. I don't know if you know that, but you know, if you've got a big movie, you don't want to put it out when everyone's kind of busy with work and Christmas shopping and stuff like that. You actually want to put it out. And they did this. They put some out like Thanksgiving week. You want to you know, save your good movies for Thanksgiving week and maybe Christmas holidays. All this kind of in-between period is where the studios know they have a kind of a stinker on their hands. They have this bomb. And they're like, we got we to release it. You know, we got to make some of our money back somehow. So where do we put it? We put it in low-demand areas where it's not going to, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe not be noticed. Kind of slide it in under the radar. <laughs> like, here's this movie. Nobody goes see it. But maybe go see it. Give us some money. But, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is that slow period, so we're going to see a lot more bad movies, although I'll tell you there are some coming up that I'm looking forward to. This movie I went to see, The Possession of Hannah Grace. I just went to see it last night to talk about it today, uh, because possession movies, haunting movies, have some similarities, and I wanted to talk about uh, the differences between a good haunting or possession movie and a bad one. What makes the bad one bad? What makes the good one good? So. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the writing tips. Uh, this 2018 film just came out this Friday. Uh, you're not going to know really any of these people except for one. <laughs> if you're a sci-fi fan, you might know one of these people. Again, that's not uncommon in horror movies uh, that don't have a, a franchise <laughs> or you know a running franchise of films. Most horror movies are kind of low budget and they don't get the big the big stars. And they're usually typically short. This one was short. I think it came in at, a, you know, hour and 30. And then has to do with filming budget, too, and all that. You know, I've talked about all this before. So in this movie, you have Shay Mitchell as the main character, Megan Reed. Um, nothing genre she's been in. She was in Pretty Little Liars. You have Kirby Johnson as Hannah Grace in the, the corpse, the possessed corpse that pursues them through most of the movie. She was in kind of a little thriller kind of genre piece called 5150, but nothing else. I will tell you something interesting about Kirby Johnson, though, is that um, if you've seen the trailer, there's a lot of these scenes. Uh, I don't know how to describe that. They, there's this thing they do in some horror movies, like The Grudge and The Ring. This kind of creepy, clicky walk thing they do, where it's kind of jerky. And without the sound effects, it probably wouldn't even be as creepy, but they made those... <laughs> cracking noises and be real jerky and uh, kind of contort it like the like human body shouldn't move that way. And it's trying to kind of trying to give you a creepy vibe that that creepy clicky cracky walk. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll call it from now on the cracky walk. 
you know, you've seen it in the garage and like the, the ring when the little girl comes on the TV, they do that weird kind of jerky uh, contortionist movement. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Kirby Johnson, what I was getting to, what's interesting about her is a lot of those films, they do it with, uh, you know, film uh, editing tricks and all that, uh, you know, jump cuts, things like that. But Kirby Johnson is actually a like professional ballet dancer and is extremely flexible. So some of those scenes, while I'm sure they were augmented, she was actually able to do a lot of those poses. So they had a lot to work with. So just thought I'd mention that as one, the probably the one good point I have to say about this movie. Uh, you also had Lewis Hertham. Oh God, I'm gonna murder that name. Hertham, yeah, as Granger, Hannah Grace's uh, father. And you'll recognize him when you see him. He's been in a few things lately because he kind of got uh, famous for his role in Westworld. He was the the, the original father in Westworld of the uh, what was her name? Thor. Yeah, yeah. What was hell? What the hell was uh the main character? The blonde chick's name? Oh God, brain fart. But anyway, he played her father, the one that going to take in all of this splendor. You know, that guy's been acting for 35 years, by the way. So a lot, of, a lot of times when you hear this thing, overnight success, it's not overnight overnight success. It's just this guy finally got uh, noticed for the good actor that he is in that role in Westworld. And I think he's been, you know, got other some other good roles out of the Westworld fame. So we're, we're finally getting to know Lewis Hertham after a full, long career that he's already had. But I'm sure we're going to see more good from him. He's actually good in this film, even though the film is terrible. He's 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 a good actor. He can do <laughs> he can do what needs to be done. I find a lot of times though he has been kind of placed in these uh these uh kind of fatherly roles where there's something going uh, horribly wrong. <laughs> so I don't know if that's typecasting or not, but he's he's good at it. Uh, you saw that in Westworld, and you're going to see it in here. Just a father trying to hold it together after things go really bad. <laughs> so that's that's kind of what he's getting pegged with, I guess. The setup of this story, and there's not much story to talk about here, is Hannah Grace is this little girl who was possessed. You see this like in the first five minutes. You see the the familiar possession scene. The girl strapped to the bed, the priest. And of course, you have the it's very formulaic. You have the older priest who's experienced with the exorcism. You have the younger priest that's there kind of to observe and help. And then you have the father there. Okay. And they're doing this. <laughs> they're doing this exorcism of Hannah Grace. And. Oh, goodness. Anyway, she, she ends up getting, <laughs> she ends up getting killed during the exorcism. And this is kind of like just, prologue stuff I'm talking about here. This all happens in the first five minutes. So then you get this, you know, you see the father basically smother the girl to death on the exorcism bed. And then you get this blank screen and then it says three months later. And then you go to something that seems totally unrelated. This, uh, this, this lady, this Megan Reed, who is, uh, I wouldn't say like a disgraced police officer. She's a police officer whose partner just died. And she feels like it was her fault, even though when you watch kind of the flashback scene, it really doesn't look like it's her fault. But she's tor tormenting herself over it anyway. She's not with the police force anymore. You know, she quit because she couldn't handle it. And uh, now she's got this new job. She, her friend just helped her land. 
She's had some drinking problems, some drug problems, and she gets this job on the graveyard shift as a morgue intake specialist. You know, where they take in the bodies, they take pictures, they uh, take fingerprints, and they basically just put them away in the drawers for the doctors to handle in the morning. So it's just that preliminary intake. And I guess our idea is like, if I'm here at work all night, I'm not out at bars drinking, I can get myself, you know, some alone time, meditate on things and get my life straight. Okay, so that's the setup of the story. And somehow three months later, this Hannah Grace body shows up in her morgue. And that's where weird shit starts happening. So if you may have seen the trailers, you may have seen some of the weird shit that's happening. Uh, I actually went into this movie expecting it to be bad just from watching the trailer. But I went to see it anyway, because that's what a good captain does. I went to see it so you don't have to. <laughs> Can you hear the sacrifice I'm making? <laughs> so the good captain does for his crew. <laughs> so uh that first five minutes will just almost walked out that, that alone if you bother to go see this stinker that first five minutes alone will let you know just how bad this film is with the exorcism scene like i said very formulaic but it's also filled with these glaring inconsistencies in the story and the behavior of the demon and the girl. In fact, I would probably less describe her as a demon, as some kind of, I don't know, some kind of vampire-type creature. <laughs> if you, I don't want to spoil too much of that, but if you go see it, you'll see what I'm saying. Demonic vampire. Is there such a thing? <laughs> there's, some, there's some vampiric elements to this story, is what I'm saying. But like I said, these first five minutes will give you the first of these glaring inconsistencies. And I guess I should give like a, this is a minor spoiler alert, but you're going to see this in the first five minutes. But this thing or whatever that's inhabiting her body, you want to call it a demon or an energy vampire, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> this thing that's inhabiting her body is very powerful. Uh, so much so that it's, you know, it's got this powerful telekinetic abilities. And you've seen some of that in these exorcism movies before where the bed jumps around or things fly around in the room or projectile vomiting. <laughs> Green split pea soup in the priest's face. <laughs> but this was like a step beyond that. Like in the first five minutes, she literally like with telekinesis from the bed lifts the older priest, the experienced priest, off the ground. And he's there just getting crunched and shaking stuff in the midair. And then she, like, hurls him backwards and, like, impales his head on this spike on the wall. <laughs> so she's that powerful that she can literally, like, fling this man across the room and, and, and impale his head on a spike with his telekinesis. And then she starts levitating the other preacher, and that's when the father decides, I'm going to smother her with this pillow to save everybody and also save my daughter from this hell that she's, internal hell that she's going through. But again, glaring inconsistency. She just flung a guy across the room and peeled his head. She's lifted another guy off the ground. She's crunching him up, like crushing him with telekinetic power. But somehow her dad can just walk over with a tiny pillow and smother her to death. Doesn't fit, right? She could have just flung him off, flung him into the wall, flung him out the window, whatever. There's no explanation. <laughs> it's just like, 
I'm going to smother him with this pillow and he's successful. And so like, why didn't she, why didn't the demon save itself right there with all this power? You'll also see it's kind of, and I know, I mean, it's a movie, right? But it's literally this tiny light pillow, not even like a full pillow, like you lay your head on at night in your bed. It's like one of those little like throw pillows you put on your sofa. <laughs> it's got like a religious thing embroidered into it. And he's going over there and he's smothering it. And I just saw like, I guess you could call it a goof, like they show on IMDb, the goofs. He's got the pillow over her face. And for a while, he's really got it over her face. But I guess at some point, the actress had to breathe. So the camera angle, I'll blame this one on the cameraman. The camera angle was bad. What you do in that scene is, yeah, you don't completely cover the actress's face. You want to be able to breathe. So you do a camera angle where you can't see that the pillow's not quite covering her nose. But the camera angle they did on this, another flaw to this greatly flawed film, is you can see that the pillow's not even anywhere near uh, completely covering her face or her nose. He's letting her breathe. But they should have gotten a little more creative with the camera angle. (laughs) Again, like I said, that first five minutes, those glaring inconsistencies, it plagues the movie throughout. Just throughout the movie, you're going to be like, well, that doesn't fit. Why didn't the demon just do that? Or why didn't this person just do that? It's uh, <laughs> plot holes galore. Every movie's got plot holes. Every novel's got plot holes, even the masterpieces. But this one's just rife with them. Uh, you will spend a lot of this movie being bored. There's a long, like, first half of the movie where nothing's really happening and the scares are really lame. It's like these long, quiet scenes, and the scare is like, like, there's the when the ambulance pulls up at the intake bay, they hit this little button and it sounds this loud buzzer in the basement to let them know somebody's there and they can check the camera. So, like, they, they overdo that cheesy scare. Like, she's just sitting there writing or reading or something, and the buzzer goes real loud in the theater, and you're supposed to jump. So, <laughs> they, they, I think they pull that one like two or three times. And it's like, really? That's the scares? So it gets a little, I'd say a little bit scarier later on, but there's a lot of that through the first half, just uh, bumping the night scares. And some of these movies can even give you a cheap thrill with the jump scares, but uh, I'd say there was a you know fair to middling size audience there last night, and I really didn't hear anybody jumping or going, oh, God, you know, nothing like that. It's not just me being jaded. I think I might have heard a couple of quiet, like, oh, no, kind of things uh, from the audience around me. But no, not even the jump scares didn't work. (laughs) Some really lame scares in this movie. Like I said, long, quiet. I I don't walk out of many movies. Hold on a second. Let me get my engine degreaser here. hear the sound of that engine degreaser? Is the mic picking that up? Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Engine degreaser. <clears throat> Sorry about that. But like I said, I don't walk out of many, many movies, especially because I like to review even the bad ones for you guys and tell you why I think they're bad or why they failed. But I really almost... Uh, walked out of this one about 45 minutes in. I was like, do I really need to see the rest of this to give it a review? But I stuck with it again for you guys. <laughs> you can send me a thank you in my email if you want. Yeah. And check out orbitalzombiedragon.com, a contact page in my email. Send me a thank you for the sacrifice. <laughs> the sacrifices I make for you. 
So, uh, besides the major plot holes and inconsistencies and the lame scares, it was also really hard to connect with the main character. Again, they don't give you a lot of time to, hour and a half. Uh, this has a very re reactionary plot line, and this is what I'm going to get into in the writing tips. A lot of these stories, haunting stories, uh, novels, movies, whatever, they suffer from uh, reactionary characters. It's basically, there's no emotional kind of uh, connection. There's no emotional ties for you to get. It's just a character doing their thing. And then like, oh my God, something just made a bump sound upstairs. Let me go check that out. Now something made a bump sound downstairs. Let me go check that out. Very reactionary in that one. And, and this one is played by that one quite a bit. And uh, like horror movies that are reactionary, sometimes the reactions are not good <laughs> for the survival of the characters. But in these, they're just bordering on ridiculous. So reactionary plot line, another minus thing in the minus column here. Uh, it almost, I'd say this movie almost redeemed itself in the end. I'm not going to give the end away, but it almost redeemed itself in the end with the main character's redemption. But even that kind of, yeah, kind of fell flat. It seemed very, I don't know, formulated, manipulated, whatever. And just let's stick something there in the ending to give this movie a reason to exist. <laughs> Raison d'etre for my French speaking people. But in, you know, in the end, this was just kind of a lame, boring movie. Uh, this one, also one out of five tombstones. I wouldn't even bother, even video. I watched it for you, so you don't have to. <laughs> That's going to become one of my sayings now. You like that? I watched it for you, so you don't have to. Get all dramatic with it. <laughs> so now let's get to the good stuff in the haunting movies. Haunting of Hill House follow-up. Okay, I talked about this after I'd watched the first three episodes, and I kind of gave my my feelings about it then. I also talked about the cast and the writer and my feelings about them, so I'm not going to go into all that again. You can go back and listen to that episode if you want. But it turns out my predictions were true. <laughs> after watching those first three episodes, I guess being a writer myself, I can just spot good writing when it's happening early on, and I can go like, this is going to be good. This is worth the ride. And this is a long ride. It's like 10 hours of film, you know, 10 episodes, an hour each, which is why I'm so late in getting <laughs> the final review out. But this is, as I predicted, very good, very emotional. The writer knows what he's doing to get you connected to the characters and their motives. And it's just an awesome series and had a very satisfying ending that I'm going to talk about a little bit more without spoiling it towards the end of this. But this is just a good example of a horror story that works uh, like many other subgenres of horror. If you make it about the characters, it will work. If you make it too much about the ghosts and the scares, it just doesn't have the same emotional connection with you uh, for you to experience things through the characters. Because that's ultimately what you do in movies or novels. You experience things through the characters. So you have to make it character focused. You know, uh, to, to, to just for people to connect with the character and really get into experiencing it. Like I always say about hauntings, I know I've 
confessed this before. I'm, I'm, I consider myself a fairly haunted person, even though I don't really believe in ghosts. It's people that are haunted. Uh, you make it about the people. I know this one's about a house that's haunted. But what it really focuses on is how it's affected the people, how it's haunted them and affected their whole lives, even though uh, through most of the film, they haven't lived in the house for, for decades, but they're haunted by it. Uh, you know, boarding on obsession, I guess you could say. I guess obsession is kind of the, the basis for being haunted. I'd say I'm a fairly obsessive person, too. So there you go. Uh, so if people are haunted and not necessarily houses or places or things, then focus on that. Your story will uh, be all the better for it. I will prepare you <laughs> without spoiling it. I will prepare you for the ending. Like I said, it's a very satisfying ending. People have asked me if it was a sad ending and it wasn't necessarily a sad ending. I don't know how to explain it without uh, spoiling it for you. <laughs> Uh, but it will, just to prepare you, it will make you cry. You know, even a tough, you know, grizzled old pirate captain like me, I, I got something in my eye in that last episode. I'll admit it. It was it was not pretty. It was like ugly, snotty cry, too. <laughs> like, really, just let me get the Kleenex and snot some Kleenex up. It was, uh, but that just uh, attests to the, you know, the emotional connection you're going to have with the characters by the end of this and you know their lives leading up to this point and you get to see how this all ends up for them and i'll just say it's very satisfying it's not necessarily necessarily sad you know sometimes you can cry from something that's really happy this is a mixture of a lot of emotions but it will i was bawling my eyes out like a baby <laughs> that's right your pirate captain has a sensitive side <laughs> So really, if you have not watched this show on Netflix yet, stop cheating yourself. If you don't have Netflix yet, go subscribe, if only to watch this show. Uh, this is really uh, what horror should be all about, especially haunting stories. This is awesome. If you're a writer looking for inspiration and you're planning on writing this type of uh, haunting story, do yourself a favor. Go watch this. Maybe watch it twice. <laughs> I might watch it again myself when I have 10 hours to spare. <laughs> Just to let you know. So this one, this might be a first. I still haven't figured out if I've ever given a 5 out of 5 before this, but I'm giving this one 5 out of 5 tombstones. Go watch it immediately. Or when you have 10 hours to spare. <laughs> you don't have to do it all in one shot. You know, you can do 5 hours a day on a weekend maybe. You know, if you got that kind of time, spread it out over the week, whatever. Just go watch this film, uh, this series. It's excellent. So, on to writing tips. As I said, it's kind of related to those last two. It's about reactionary versus proactive characters. And I know I've talked a little bit about this. It's also related to this novel I'm reading right now by Darcy Coates called The Carol Haunt. So, again, the problem with a lot of these stories is the characters being too reactionary and not proactive enough. If the characters aren't engaged, then the, the audience isn't going to be engaged either. They have to have something other than, oh, something happened over there, let me go see. Something happened over there, let me go see. It just devolves into chasing bumps in the night, and that's just bad. 
you need characters like Haunting of Hill House who have their own stories and motives. They have to each have their own goals, I guess you could say. And this all relates to just knowing your characters. Um, I'll say this, like with writing as an author, you usually pick a main character or maybe two main characters and some major characters. But let's say, look at it from the character's point of view, flip it around. You're not the author. You're not this writer, this God creating the world and these people. You are the character. Do you think you're a secondary character? Or a major or minor character? No, everybody thinks they're the main character. And your characters in your book should think they're the main character. They should have main character goals and aspirations. And while the story may not touch them, you, as the writer, need to know them. Okay? You need to know those people's goals, even though you might never really show it you know, in the story. Or you might give them just a tiny glimpse of it. And that's part of making characters believable and relatable and let the audience connect with them. Okay. If they're just, their only purpose is to just kind of give the main character some info, then you really haven't done your character work on that character. It's all about, as always, making your story character driven and you have to know your characters. It's kind of my, my rule about know everything, know 100% of the story, of every story involved with your novel, and show the people 10% of it. You should really, before you really get too far into your novel, I'm not a big plotter and planner. I tend to start writing, and then I, the plotting and planning kind of comes in later. Uh, but you really do need to, at some point, really get to know your own characters. You need to know everything about them the way you know everything about your best friend. And it will help you be true to that character when you're writing them in scenes. So that's my big writing tip for today. You want to know these characters' motives and goals in life, and that will help them be proactive in your story rather than reactionary. They're not just waiting for things to happen to them. Do you wait for things to happen to you in your life? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you're that person. But no, most of us kind of, we have goals. We may not even think of them as goals. We get up and we go to work in the morning because, well, we want to get paid at the end of the week and provide for our family. Given your characters' motives and goals, even the minor characters, make them believable. And if you stay true to them, if you really know them like you know your best friend, and you stay true to them, it will just make your story all around better. So that's <laughs> because they'll be more proactive. So, uh, guess that's all I have for writing tips. All I have for you for today. But uh, glad to be back. NaNoWriMo is over. So, <laughs> we should be back on our regular production schedule. I really don't know what I have planned for you next week. So, this is kind of a dry spell, but I will have something for you. But check out our website, orbitalzombiedragon.com, our Facebook page, Instagram page. I try to. Stay active on those to give you some things to check out over there. And as always, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It just helps other people that might enjoy the show find the show. And for now, it's time to drop out of low Earth orbit to go on another galactic adventure. Dragana, take us out. <laughs>